Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. To come up. What we're going to do tonight is it's our end of our wee mini-series of the guys put up the Great Commission. So what we've been doing over the last three weeks is we've been looking at this verse. We've been looking at it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to serve. That's not that one, is it? Yes. So... <laughs> Sorry. Put on our mission statement. So what we've kind of done over the last three weeks is kind of give ourselves a week for each of those. It's to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, which we looked at two weeks ago. Then we looked at uh, last week to help rewrite the story of the Ireland, which is our nation. We're going to end tonight up by looking how can we bring the good news of the kingdom to the nations. This is what we're going to look at. That's what we've been doing. So it's kind of rounding up tonight. And what better way to do that is to be encouraged and to hear how people in our family have done that this summer. So this is what we're going to do. And Ali's going to come and just conclude it all and round it all up. So I'm going to interview three guys. And then Heather's going to interview some around the gander. So can I ask Patty, Rachel, and Zoe to make their way up, please? Come on. Give these guys a round of applause, please. Hmm? Okay, so these guys have been all over the nations this summer, and we're going to hear a wee bit about what they got up to, how God moved in that area, and what God's been doing in their hearts during the time, and some amazing stuff has happened since they've come home. So we're going to get into that. So this is Patty. If you don't know Patty, Patty's on staff with us as a student. He's doing his um, youth link degree, youth work and theology degree, aren't you? You've got a great boss, don't you? Sometimes. Yes. Right. So Paddy is phenomenal. He's a great leader. Tell us, Paddy, what, where you went this summer and who did you bring? So I was away to Athens in Greece, um, and we took a team of young people from Upper Sixth in our youth group. And how many went? So there was 10 in total. So there was seven young people and three leaders. Brilliant. And when you got there, what... Were you doing what did you get stuck into over there? Um, so we, I've I've been out to Greece a couple of times, and one of the times that we went out, we had congregated around a square in Athens called Victoria Square, and so basically what that is, there's a it's just like a square in the middle of the, of the the city where all these refugees who maybe don't have um, permanent fixtures in camps or in squats go to congregate and just spend time with each other. A lot of these people don't even know each other, um, but find family there. Um, and so one of the things that we did was we went out there in the evenings, spent time with those people, getting to know them, being able to provide any practical needs that we could um, for them, and getting opportunities to pray for them and tell them about God. Um, and then another thing that we did was we worked alongside an organization called Raymar, who work in a camp in Malacasa, which is just outside of Athens. Um, and so we were just doing practical work in the camp and with the refugees there. So. What was the biggest need that you seen when you were out in Greece for those 10 days? What was the biggest kind of, when you were there, that you really hit home? What was the biggest need? I think 
like for me going out and being out over this three times over the space of a couple of years, it's it's been different each time. And I think this time the government have put a bit of a stamp down on people getting places to stay. And so that was one of the big issues, people not being in camps and living on the streets. But the government seemed to have, have cleaned that up quite a lot. And this year, one of the, the biggest things just seemed to be loneliness amongst the people. And the refugees just, a lot of them are on their own. A lot of them are, are put in cabins with people that they've never met before and are told to live their lives like that. And they've no option whether they get on with these people or not or, or how they, they spend their day. They've no, no job that they can go to to make friends. They've no clubs or, or whatever they can join to, to meet new people. It's just who they're with in those cabins and in those camps. And a lot of the time, a lot of the times like there's things like clothes that they need or there's food that they need and the camp will provide so much for that. But in other times it's just fighting over over those things and, and who can get those things. But I would say probably the biggest thing um, was loneliness and actually just being on their own was probably the, the worst thing that we saw. What was one of your highlights? When did like, what was one thing that you seen God really move or you seen God really clearly when you were there, maybe something a young person did, or what was your main highlight of your trip? Um, there was one one night we were out in the in the square in in Victoria, <clears throat> and it was the first night, and we were just we just did a wee lap around the square just to sort of get our bearings around and show the show the guys about. And there was me and Elliot and Jamie, and we were just thinking about who we could talk to, um, who we could. Um, speak to and we just wanted to have our first conversation with someone to be really profound and about Jesus and to be able to um, just impart something from God to them and obviously with them all being from Afghanistan there's a big Muslim ratio of, of the people so you have to be you're, you're wary of, of who you're talking to at the same time and we'd sort of pinpointed this guy and we'd prayed and we're like, God, would you, would you lead us to him and open up a conversation? And we turned around and this guy waved at us. And so we walked over to him and started, started chatting. And he was with two other guys. And he started, slowly as we were telling them what we were out doing, he started turning his back to them. Um, and he was telling us that before he came to Athens, he was on a, at an island just off, just off Greece. Um, studying, studying the Bible, um, and he was from Afghanistan. Um, he'd studied the Bible, would would have called himself, he, he called himself a part Christian, um, wasn't able to read the Bible, wasn't able to pray because he lived with these two other Muslim guys, and if he had told them that he was a Christian, he probably would have got in a lot of trouble from those two guys. And so it was a great opportunity that we had to just just to encourage him, and actually just to just to impart some of God's love onto, onto this guy. Um, and even though he was standing with his back turned to his two mates, we were still able to, to share a bit with him. So it was great. And that was just, that was the first day, just seeing how God opened doors for us and seeing how, how God was moving in that place. Thank you so much, Patty. Um, we'll give them all a round of applause at the end. Okay, now, yes. <laughs> we'll do one each. Um, it is so encouraging that to hear seven of our young people give up their summer, which you could be doing, going to Ibiza, going to Magaluf, but no, 
they're willing to go to Greece. Um, and I was so proud of them to see them step out in their faith, to step out financially to do it, and just the stories you've come, that's come back from the team being led by Paddy, Katie, and Picky. It was just phenomenal. So I'm so proud um, of our guys and so pleased that they went. I'm so encouraged by them. So thank you so much. Um, Zoe, so we got a wee teaser of Zoe um, a few weeks ago. She spent uh, about three, four months in Cambodia. We got um, to see that in a video that she did for us. But just to kind of recap briefly, Zoe, for the guys who didn't see it, what did you go to do um, in Cambodia? Um, so I was out there for three months, basically to kind of come alongside um, Ars Cambodia and just serve where I could serve in any area that they needed. I was mainly working um, with kids who lived in like a slum community, um, heavily influenced by drugs and um, a huge risk of being trafficked as well. So we uh, went twice a week to kind of play with these kids, to love these kids, to teach them about um, Jesus, to teach them about prevention, um, and just kind of keep them safe really um, for those hours that we were there. And then I was also involved in their bar ministry work. So going out to the bars, um, meeting with the women who are in the heart of prostitution, who are caught up in that horrendous situation, just um, loving on them and getting to know them, meeting them during the week and just um, giving them freedom for the couple of hours that we got to be with them. Um, so I was mainly involved in that. And during my time there, we also went on outreach to a remote province. So we got to share the gospel with people who had never even heard of Jesus before. We saw people healed from sickness, blindness, everything, like ears being opened. Um, so it was just an incredible time. And it was only, we were only there really 24 hours in total. But what God did in such a short space of time was just amazing. Brilliant. What did God say to you while you were there? We'll do too. What did, when you were there, what was the thing you felt God was really doing with you? And what have you brought home from your time in Cambodia? Um, it's quite a lot of things, but uh, probably one of the main things before we did anything as a team, we prayed and we worshipped before any program ran, before we went out to the bars. So actually physically stopping and putting God before everything was just something that you say, oh yeah, we'll put God first and everything, but actually physically doing it is a different thing. So learning how to like, actually God, we're not moving until you say we're going and just following his guidance and Holy Spirit and everything was just something that I really, it was so prominent and just learning to listen to his voice again and hearing that. Um, so taking that home, probably just trying to do that in the everyday and not just saying, oh yeah, God's in that, but actually stopping and praying and putting him before it all. So that's the challenge. Brilliant. Can we give Zoe a massive round of applause? <laughs> Lastly, Rachel, you went out as well, didn't you? You went out and spent a bit of time with Zoe and the guys in Cambodia. Yeah. yeah. Um, what made you go? Why did you go? Um, 
for me, um, Cambodia has kind of been like a three-year, if not longer, journey. Um, I suppose I went out the first time with um, Tash and Dave, um, and then I just seen God really break my heart for the country. Mm. Um, then I went out again, and I really felt like, I was like, great God, I really want to be used in this. Um, and then I had conversations with people, and they were like, we really need social workers here. Um, but even just through that, God just really revealed like a lot of dreams and visions and words um, about Cambodia to me. Um, and then I suppose I went out there this time to test those kind of words and things like that. Um, I was never in a position to go before because um, I was still studying and I needed to complete my, my assessed year. Um, but then this year it ended. Um, and then this year, I kind of just seen a lot of dreams and a lot of visions and a lot of words clarified by God for Cambodia and for my story. My hand's really shaking here. But <laughs> <laughs> and you got stuck in everything, obviously, that Zoe did. Um, but when you were there, what did God do to you? Like, what did the journey that you went on, because we're going to hear in a wee minute a huge, significant, life-changing decision you've made. But what did he do when you were there? Um, I'm not an emotional person, but he made me really cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, he really did. Um, he really just, he just confirmed so much. Like, and I suppose whenever I came back, I, it's really hard to come back from Cambodia and sit and like fade back into like normal life. Mm. And I think just being able to be in the stillness with him again and just have him talk. It's the same with what Zoe said is just being able to like recenter and hear from him. Um, I forgot the question. I'll go on, don't worry. It's okay, sorry. Brilliant. So, you heard from God, yeah? What did you hear and what are you going to do now about it? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Dave would love you saying that to those two questions. So what can God say and what are you going to do? So God really said go, <laughs> and since I've come back, I have quit my job, and I am moving out there in January, so it's been kind of agreed with Iris. Brilliant, and how long for? Um, so originally you're meant to do it for six months just to get your bearings and things, but um, God hasn't really given me an, an end yet, so Brilliant. I think I'm just going to go until um, place says come home. At the minute, um, but I haven't told my family that. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you're living a live months. stream, we're sorry. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, no. So it's just even so good that we were saying, like, what did God say to you? What are you going to do about it? And we've got such an example sitting in front of us that God says go. And she's gone. <laughs> and she's going. It's just such an encouragement to us all and obedience to us all. And when we hear God, we need to go. Um, so lastly, Rachel, this is a big one. What is your prophetic prayer for Cambodia? What would you like to see, Harry, the kingdom just to come while you're there and even further beyond? Um, I think it's just really about, like, a brokenness there. Like, there's a, there's a generational situation there where there's been a genocide. There's not um, people there. Like there's, It's like the fatherhood of, like, what Jesus teaches us, like just being family. Um, and I love, I think that's what I love the most about Iris is that they do that so well. Um, but I think for, for Cambodia, it's just 
if I'm being honest, just a revival of just what it, Jesus has spoken over that 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 nation. Um, you can see just so much, um, some jo- so much joy. Like whenever you see it, it's like you see poverty, but you don't see misery. Do you know, you see happiness and you see joy, and and it's just like learn people understanding that that's Jesus. Do you know, we just want complete revival for them. It's the same way we want revival here in Lurgan. We want it for the for Ireland. We want it for the nations. Um, I sh- uh, for me, it's just I really want to see the streets of Cambria painted gold again with Jesus. Oh, come on. Can we give these three a massive round of applause? Thank you very much, guys. Um, when you hear these three guys, um, when Heather and the guys are coming up, when you hear these three stories, one thing that sticks out for me is sacrifice. Is that all through these three stories, I had to sacrifice. Like, Patty had to sacrifice time and finances and to go with the young people had to do that when you think of Zoe she had to sacrifice a year of her career to take a year with us then sacrifice finances to go and then when we hear Rachel it's just sacrificing her life here because God told her to so it was just if we're going to see the nation one I think it's built around that so I'm hand over to Heather and these two lovely guys three Jason nearly didn't get up so can you give Jason a big round of applause (laughs) Um, it's really lovely to hear the stories of of the guys who have been here before and who have like who are young people or young adults Um, but what's been amazing privilege um, this summer has been um, not just taking young people out to Uganda but taking a family team a team made up of nine families consistent of all ages, Annie being the youngest. I will not tell you who the oldest was, um, but it was really lovely to see um, like nine families give up their summer holiday to go and serve the village of Jindira um, and the church there, um, along with, with three singles which included us. <laughs> um, but what we're going to do is we're going to chat a little bit about what the guys got up to. Um, and just like, why, the why of us going out there? Like, why did we do the things that we we were doing? And what is the hope and the prayer um, and the legacy left behind? So this is Tiffany, um, and this is Daniel, and this is Jason, his dad. Um, and so we're going to ask them a little bit about what they actually got up to. So um, whenever we were there, we looked at, we focused on different aspects um, of work, which consisted of things like craft classes, um, where the ladies um, helped teach women from the village how to sew. And they're already sending photos back to some of our team of the garments that they made, of the dresses they made, and the shirts and the ties and all of that, um, along with health and hygiene classes. So in um, every single primary school class that we met, we taught them the importance of washing their hands properly and also of cleaning their teeth. And they all got um, um, toothbrushes, um, which you all sent out, and toothpaste. So thank you for doing that. But the guys are going to talk about some of the other projects that we worked on. So um, Tiffany was involved in helping lead the I Am Girl classes, um, which she's going to talk about as well as the kids club. So Tiffany, tell us a wee bit about what you got up to. Um, so because we brought kids out, we thought it'd be really good that every single person involved, parents and kids, got involved in the kids club. Um, so I'm pretty sure you all know what a typical Emmanuel kids club is like. Memory verses, stories, crafts. And I think the nicest thing was when you were doing the crafts with them, they were like, wow, 
this is paper, this is glue. Wow, you can make so many cool things. And it was just so refreshing to see that. Um, just the joy of like the little things of making crowns. So um, on our first day, we made crowns with them and they wore them the whole entire day, the paper crowns. And some of the next days when you went back, they still had them on and it was just adorable. Um, but yeah, every single day we talked about a different color and related that to a story. And basically the whole thing was how they were God's masterpiece and that um, they were created to do good things for um, Jesus. So that was the main thing for Kids Club, which we ran in the primary school every single day that we were there apart from the weekend, um, which was amazing. It was so much fun and it was class seeing all of our kids join in with their kids and it was just, yeah, it was great. Um, then the other thing we did was in the afternoons after Kids Club, we split up and did different things. I did I Am Girl most of the time. And if you don't know what I Am Girl is, it is a project that Fields of Life run basically to, so gender equality in Uganda wouldn't quite be to the same extent as what our gender equality would be. Women are still quite less than a man. Um, so we were teaching that basically that it was class to be a woman um, and to be a female, but also teaching the importance of um, sanitary health. So we were teaching them um, that, well, the first lesson was about personal hygiene, teaching them to wash everywhere, um, to make sure they wash their hands especially. Um, then the second one was all about puberty, which was really fun to teach. Um, <laughs> was it me and Heather the night before we were stressing a wee bit, but it was actually grand. It was really good. And then after that, we talked about menstruation, what it was. And we taught them that it wasn't a negative thing that out there, it's kind of seen as something that's almost dirty. It's something that you don't talk about. Um, we asked some of the girls like stuff that they would have used um, instead of sanitary pads or tampons. And it was like... Um, banana skins that were dried out, um, leaves, rags, cardboard, basically anything they could find. Some were able, some were able to buy like sanitary pads and stuff and were able to use those, but not everyone was able to. Um, and obviously that's such a luxury that we take for granted here um, because it's something that you can't help, you can't control that you're a woman, that this happens, it happens to every female. Um, and we were just teaching them that that was natural. But we were teaching both boys and girls that it wasn't something for them to ever look down on a female because of that, because they have this thing that happens every month and for them to respect that because they are going to have either, well, hopefully a wife as well and possibly a daughter, that this is going to be something that's impacting the boys too, that it's important that they know how to look after their kids and that you don't want to give them like banana skins to use because that will get infections and that will just be awful. So it's just teaching the importance of... Um, treating women well, especially when they're on that time of month, because it can be hard and it can make you grumpy. Um, so it's just being respectful in that way. Um, and then we taught that in both the primary school and the secondary school, because in the primary school, um, unlike here, if you are like seven, you could start off school and you'll be straight into P1. You won't go into P3, you'll go to P1. And you'll start straight from the beginning. And if you don't pass your exams, you will stay there until you do. So some of the girls who were in P7 were 14. Um, so it was important that they knew everything about this as well. And um, my favorite thing was that we got to give out sanitary kits to the girls, um, which involved two reusable sanitary pads that they would be able to use for a full year. They were washable. Um, it meant that they would be free of risk from infection for a full year, at least, which was amazing. And we took those out and showed them the little bags. And then we took out two pairs of pants and told them that they were getting two pairs of pants and you honestly would have thought we told them they were getting gold 
they screamed so loud and we all tried so hard not to cry. Um, they were so excited. And then they also got a washcloth as well, which is amazing. And we have a video, if you would like to see the reaction, about five minutes after we had handed out every single girl in the school um, a kit, if it's gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, just to, to even emphasize that even more, stats show that 86% of girls will not finish primary seven, will not finish primary school due to menstruation. And furthermore, 71% of girls will not finish high school at all. And so these kits enable them to stay at school for four weeks during the month that they don't have to stay out of education and therefore can continue, just like boys, to fulfill their dreams and be educated. So. Um, brilliant. Um, Daniel, do you want to share a wee bit about what you got up to? Yeah, so I mostly done every day with, I run sport um, and I'll talk a bit about the devotions as well. Um, so in the afternoon we went up to the high school, the secondary school and done devotions with all the kids and the young people there. Um, so like a memory verse and uh, just worshipped and prayed with them. Um, and I remember one day in specific, um, it was a started pouring down with rain and like it was that heavy that you couldn't even hear anyone else worship um, you couldn't hear the person beside you sing and I started to get a bit annoyed because I couldn't go out and play football after and um, yeah it started annoying me I was like oh I'm just gonna sit in here all day but then we, we split into small groups and Sam Cunningham and I took a, a small group of, of about 10 people and it was just unbelievable just to hear all their like different testimonies and and seeing him here and how they came to faith and just like the expression the joy that they use when they're talking about Jesus is just something like really special um, and then after that we um, in the afternoon we, we usually played like a big a big game um, so they love playing football and we introduced rounders to them as well and um, so it was always one big game and then um, there was other people done like uh, bracelets and painting nails and stuff like that and even just chatting to the, getting to know some of the people um, but I was mostly doing the sports um, and I remember playing rounders and there's one of the teachers Moses he was massive big guy like and uh, he loved rounders every time he got the ball just a, it was a home run like just straight over the top of the top of the roof and uh, well he McAvoy he tried to change the rules like but there's no stopping Moses and <laughs> but um, yeah and then Playing football, like, like, I love playing football, and but just over there, like, getting to worship Jesus and playing football with the same people is just something special. And uh, we played a big match at the end um, on the last day, and it was just so evident that everyone there was just playing for Jesus, and Jesus was just running their spirit when they're, when they're kicking football, and it was just really something special for me to, for me to be a part of. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Daniel. It's super. Um, and finally, Jason, um, you were involved in going and visiting some church plants and in um, meeting some different pastors as well as um, doing some practical work. Can you tell everybody what you got up to? Yeah, so um, one of the good things about being the oldest is you're allowed to bring notes in with you. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so as I was uh, thinking this afternoon what I should say tonight, um, I just thought, uh, I felt God drop into my spirit just the story of Genesis 12 about um, where um, Abram was uh, 
God was going to bless him and then he was going to be a blessing to other people. So um, I just feel that we are so blessed to be part of Emmanuel Church here. And it was just a great privilege to go out to Uganda and to bless the people of Jandira. Um, as Heather says, one of the days, um, Pastor Richard, who um, uh, runs the church that's uh, part of the school, had organized a, a conference and there were uh, uh, other pastors and leaders who had traveled many miles to, um, to be there. And it was, uh, I think, Ali and... Johnny had shared a wee bit on the day as well, and it was just great to uh, just to see them and just to watch the way they they, they, they worshipped, and uh, we were able to lay hands on them afterwards and pray for them. And I suppose it was just like a, a small to bar that that we run here, um, but also um, it was great to see the similarities of the church in Emmanuel and Jandira. Um, they were both reaching out to neighbouring churches. Um, as a resource centre to equip them to spread the good news of the gospel to their own areas. Um, another occasion, there was some of us able to go to Pastor Richard's house, which is about 15 minutes away from the village, and there's a new church plant there. And uh, so it was uh, late, late one afternoon, like about four o'clock, half four, we just went up, and it, again, it was great. You know, there, there, there was, I don't think it was anybody who could speak English, but just to worship with them and to pray with them. Um, and actually, during that time, there was about 30 people there, uh, uh, women and children and men. And it just uh, I just thought of the story of the way Emmanuel was birthed all those years ago, where like, there was 30 people. And so we just pray that uh, God would, would continue to, to water that seed and that, that church would grow to uh, just the way Emmanuel has grown today. So, um, and just lastly... Um, we were able to plant some trees um, up at the high school, um, and uh, it was it was so good for just the kids that were on our team and the adults, and also the kids in the school and the teachers, all coming together just to have a bit of banter and a bit of laughter to plant the trees. And uh, I think you'll see maybe a video next week. There's some 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 are better at it than others, <laughs> <laughs> and some some not so good at the wheel in the wheelbarrow. Mark. He's not here. <laughs> Don't get Mark Wilson yeah. anywhere near your garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and Daniel's definitely better football and he has it digging holes. Brilliant. Um, let's give these guys a round of applause. Um, and Al, maybe you just want to come up and we'll pray for you. But just even in the like, even in this picture of the planting of the seeds that are going to become trees in the future, um, these guys really did sow so many seeds, not just physically sowing seeds, but actually um, seeds of legacy for young girls to grow up to be all that God made them to be to not allow things to hold them back, for kids to grow up knowing that they are God's masterpiece, that there's no one like them, for, for boys just to feel listened to and heard and cheered on. So, so this team, like I am so privileged to be on that team and to be with you guys, for all of the kids as well who just got straight stuck in, but for the legacy and the seeds that are planted that will grow, we're so excited to watch that. So thank you guys and well done. And we'll just pray for Al. So that's, if you feel comfortable, just reach out your hand.
Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you again. Just come and increase your presence. God, we so, so love you. And I just thank you that we are so loved by you. God, that we don't need to do anything to shape up or clean ourselves up, but we're just so loved by you because of who you are. And so, God, just draw our eyes to you. As Al speaks, God, would you fill him fully with words that come straight from your heart. And God, even in our own hearts, would you, Holy Spirit, just create like good soil for your seeds to be planted, for the thorns and the, and the weeds to be ripped out, just so that we can see your kingdom come. God, we love you. We just ask that you have your way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Heather. Don't worry, it's not going to be a long preach, just about 15 minutes here to try and draw some of our thoughts together. It's been great to hear those stories, isn't it, of what God's doing. I think there's going to be a video next Sunday morning as well of um, a bit more of the Uganda um, story. We've been going there for 13 years now, back and forth. God's been doing incredible things. Been able to put hundreds of children through primary school and secondary school and been able to watch many of them go on and serve the Lord. And um, it's been amazing just to watch 30 people this year that um, we were able to take from both Largan and Portadown churches. And um, it was amazing to watch, you know, as um, for me going back after 13 years, there's so many of the kids now have moved on. So there's kind of a new batch of kids and watching a new bunch of our own kids from here connect with a new bunch of kids from Africa and thinking about how this is the legacy of the church. The story continues to move. The story moves from one generation to another. It's incredibly special to be part of something like that. And just from, uh, I suppose, a leadership point of view and an eldership point of view, yeah, just to say it was incredibly be proud of, of everybody as they represented the church, represented the Lord most importantly, but it was just a privilege to be part of that. And I'll not be here next Sunday morning because I'll be in Portadown, but just to say too, um, in, in Lurgan, just to, just to honor um, all the work that Heather particularly put in to leading the team. She did a wonderful job. You can be very proud, I think, of her and how she led the team. So why don't we give her and everyone else a round of applause. Yeah. Grant said at the start that we're looking at um, the third part of this mini-series, uh, our, 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 our um, mission statement, vision, sorry, statement is to rewrite the story of Kragavan, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the kingdom of God. And tonight we just want to look at that third aspect. We've been looking at the Kragavan and some of the things God has been doing, and we purposely tried to like build testimony into that, so it's not just a preach, but we're seeing how this is actually being lived out. And then last week we had some stories from Ireland, and tonight we want to look at the nation, because this is we, how we believe a local church sees the Great Commission outworked and unfolded. And we've come to realize the book of Acts that tells us the story of the early church is not just a history book. We were, I was told growing up in Bible studies and stuff that the book of Acts is just like a history book. And it's much, much more than that. It actually is a template and a framework for how a local church almost continues the cycle that we see the early church um, undergo which is that the gospel will move from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of 
the earth. And as a local church, we want to get caught up in that same cycle, in that same sense of movement. And we've so much to learn from the book of Acts about how the church should operate and how it continues to unfold and how it continues to break into new frontiers with the good news of the gospel. And that's why it's so wonderful to hear stories tonight of the gospel going to the nations. We had Europe represented and Greece. We have Africa represented. We have Asia represented with Cambodia. Um, Rachel Buchanan and her sister Judith and um, um, Lynn Lockhart were also in Paraguay. And um, that's South America represented as well. Um, uh, and they had a, an amazing and really heartbreaking time as well there, just seeing um, many of the kids that Rachel would have worked with for a year there as well. I was also in North America. But that was, um, wasn't really mission. That was more of a holiday. I was just trying to get around all the continents. And so it's great to hear, though, the good news of what God is doing, how he's using us in the church. And as we think about the nations tonight and rewriting the story of the nations, we're reminded that we are just playing our part in the big story of God for the nations. As a local church, as a local community, over the years, we want to play our part. And we are... In a small way, the stories that we tell tonight are our small way, but amazing way, and, uh, and very influential way of playing our part in the big story of God for the nations. Because the main thread of the God story, the main thread of the Bible, is really about how God wants his love to be known to the nations. And hopefully we know the story. Quick recap if you don't. Right? When God made the heavens and the earth, and he made mankind in his image. He placed them in a place called Eden. Eden was a place of perfection, a place of beauty, a place where man enjoyed an uninterrupted, beautiful flow of the presence of God. And mankind was the pinnacle of God's creation, and God gave him authority and dominion to extend his rule and reign throughout the earth. It's really, really important point, a point that most people, I think, don't know, and it's very basic, but Eden had physical boundaries, right? It wasn't some sort of metaphorical place, even though there's lots of metaphor probably in Genesis 1, but it was a physical place, and God wanted mankind to extend the boundaries of Eden throughout the earth in order to fill the earth with his presence, to extend his rule beyond the Garden of Eden. But man had a choice to do that because love is a choice, right? God made man in his own image, and God is love. But love is a choice. If it's, if it's forced, it's not love. At the very best, it's some perverted, manipulated part, part of love, but that's not really love. And so man chose that it wasn't good enough to be like God. He wanted to be God for himself. And instead of allowing his heart to be surrendered to the Lord, his ego, his self part, to be a channel of expressing love to God, he decided I would rather have myself on that pinnacle than God. If you eat of this tree, you can be like God. And so when man did that, he forfeited that authority, broke the heart of God, couldn't remain in Eden, and God had to put him out of Eden. And all of a sudden, instead of going out of Eden and extending blessing and love, what got multiplied was sin and selfishness and self-centeredness. And so all of a sudden, this desire to fill the world with the presence of God, it's got corrupted and perverted now to being something that 
multiplies sin and selfishness around the world. This was not the way the story was supposed to go. The story needs rewritten. The story of the nations. And the first chapters of Genesis go on to show us this. God basically has to start the world again. Genesis 6, there's a flood. Because sin has multiplied right throughout the earth, and he can't find one righteous person apart from, well, he can't find one, but he's the only one, Noah. And so God floods the earth, breaks his heart all over again to do that, and starts again with Noah, hoping that through Noah, this love and blessing will be multiplied throughout the earth. But again, it doesn't happen. By the time we get to Genesis 10, mankind wants to build a tower now to himself, Babel. And they build this tower and they want to worship themselves. And God says, we're going to have to go down and scatter them and give them all different languages that they don't understand because when they get together to do this kind of thing, it's going to be so dangerous to the purposes that I have for the world that I'm going to have to judge and scatter them throughout the whole earth. This was not the way the story was supposed to go. The story needs rewritten. How is God going to rewrite the story? Well, it's like God has to change tactic a little bit. Because God wants this wide kind of presence of God covering the whole earth. But now he has to kind of not necessarily forget about the nations, but he has to narrow his focus down to a nation. And more than that, he has to narrow his focus down to one person who's going to get it. And he narrows it right down. This is like, don't worry, it's only going to be another 10 minutes or so. And I know I'm only at Genesis 12, right? But... He has to focus on one person, and he chooses a farmer, a nomad, a wanderer called Abraham, and he starts to work with this one, one man that will say, yes, I'll go. Leave your house. Leave your family. Jason quoted that verse earlier. It's on the screen, I think, if you stick it up. Genesis chapter 12, Matty, it says, um, yeah, it says, go from your country, your people, and your father's house. So this is a key text to understand in everything in the Bible. This should be like under, underlined in your Bible, marked in your Bible. You should, this is a key, key way to understand the Bible, this, this passage. Go from your country, your people, and your father's house. So the land I will show you, I will make you a good nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all the people's all the peoples or all the nations on the earth will be blessed through you. All the nations are going to be blessed. And it's going to kind of start again with this one man. This seed of promise is placed in his heart. Maybe, just maybe. Like, try and enter into the story here. This is a good plug for Ignite, by the way. This is what we do in the God story, right? Maybe, just maybe, the story's back on track. But God has to work with this man. And if you read those chapters, that's why there's so many chapters given to God's relationship with Abraham. Because God is working with a man. Does he get it? Does he understand my heart? I'm going to share my heart for the whole world, the whole nation. I'm going to bring him out one day, and I'm going to tell him he's going to have a child, and he's not going to believe me because he's nearly 90, and nothing like that's working anymore, and the thought of having a child, that's not going to happen. But I'm going to bring him out, and I'm going to show him the skies, and I'm going to show him all the stars, and I'm going to say, believe again, Abraham. Believe in the promise that through you, all the nations... As many as the stars in the sky, all the nations are going to be blessed through you. But he has to work them. He has to work them and work them and work them and ground them and ground them and ground them. And Abram has to die so that Abram really gets it, so that he can carry the promise of God for the nations. And then Abram has Isaac, and God has to work with him. 
And God has to work with his son, Jacob. And Jacob's name's changed to Israel. And Israel and the children of Israel become the way that God wants to win the world. But God has had to narrow. God wants the nations, but he's had to narrow it right down. And he's working with the people now. He's working with the children of Israel. And he wants them, Isaiah tells us, to be a light to the nations. God hasn't, in a sense, forgotten about the nations, but he's just had to kind of let go of his hope for them while he tries to get a people to carry his heart because God has always been looking at that partnership. And, and he's working with the children of Israel and they're breaking his heart because they keep turning away from him and they keep letting him down and they keep not living up to the covenant that he has invited them into. And he's longing for them to carry his heart. And the reality is, without taking any more time, the reality is they don't do it. Ultimately, they fail to live up to the vocation that God had longed them to live up for. He called Israel his son. He wanted him to reflect. He wanted them to reflect his nature in the world. And when the Old Testament ends, it ends with a bit of an anticlimax. They haven't really done it. And more than that, when it comes to the presence of God, which they were supposed to overflow with to be a light to the nations, it's become so narrow that only one man, once a year, can go in behind the veil to the presence of God. And the, and the Israelites, the ones that thought they were religious, that were trying to hold on to the story of God, they actually stopped people getting into the temple. And church became a place to keep people out because they weren't holy enough. And so can you imagine in the heart of God, the God who wanted the presence of God to extend from Eden to the whole earth, can you imagine what it's doing in God's heart when his people don't understand him, don't understand his presence, and instead of overflowing with his presence out into the world, they keep whatever they can for themselves, and they end up getting proud and religious and all about it. It wasn't supposed to be like this. The story wasn't supposed to go like this. The story needs an interruption. The story needs a drastic new chapter. And the author decides to step into the story because the only way this story is going to be rewritten is if the author comes out of heaven, steps onto the earth himself, and starts to be the fulfillment of Israel. And everywhere that Israel failed, Jesus will succeed. And he will become the true Israel. He will become the personification of what Israel was supposed to be. And he will die on a cross to show them that that's what they were supposed to be and do. To take on their sins, but not just their sins, but the sins of the whole world. And he will take 12 disciples, 12 young men, representing the 12 tribes of Israel to show them how they were truly supposed to represent them. And he will work with them for three years to show them the kind of love and the kind of God that he really is so that they can carry that to the nations. And he'll show them how to live and he'll show them how to love and he'll show them how to look like God himself. And then he'll tell them after he dies and after he goes to heaven, he'll tell them, well, just before he goes to heaven, he'll tell them, wait, because the Spirit of God is going to be poured out in you and my presence is going to be poured out, Joel chapter 2, on the Israelites, no, on the church, no, on all flesh. This is the day that these prophecies are going to come fulfilled that God, who has always wanted the nations, is going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And at Pentecost, the love of the Father is poured out into these fishermen, tax collectors, whatever they did, just normal men and women like you and me, the Holy Spirit poured into their heart. Something gets lit within them, and the presence of God overflows in such a way that they can't stay in the room. 
they have to stumble out onto the streets and proclaim the gospel. And when they proclaim the gospel, they start to speak in the tongues of other nationalities, other languages, and they're proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the church is born. The Spirit is poured out, and the movement of the presence of God is now moving again. The gospel is go. And all of a sudden, the amazing thing about Pentecost is that happens is this God who created the heavens and the earth, created Eden, and at this particular point, at the beginning of creation, wanted his presence to fill the earth throughout Israel's failure. The presence of God has had to narrow and narrow and narrow and narrow and narrow. If you're a female, we talked about gender equality. If you're a female in Israel in those days, you don't get anywhere close to the presence of God because of the way that humanity has stewarded. But because Jesus comes and dies on the cross and rises from the dead, the temple curtain is rent in two, so the presence of God is for everyone again. And when Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit is poured out in all flesh, so that God's original desire to fulfill his, his purposes and His plans for His glory, so that His presence can fill the earth, now that project is go again, through ordinary men and women like you and me. I don't know if you've been listening to that Hill Song's new song, King of Kings. It's a proper, that's a proper worship song, by the way, right? If you, if you want to listen to a proper worship song, that's a proper worship song. And here's some, of the, here's some of the lyrics. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake you died. In the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. That's my favorite line in that song. Every time it comes on. The church of Christ was born, and the Spirit let the flame now, this gospel truth of old, shall not kneel, shall not faint. But his blood and in his name and in his freedom I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. The church of Christ was born. The spirit let the flame. The presence of God was poured out on humanity. And we get to take the gospel to the nations. And it is our joy and privilege, or it should be. And the church of God is born as the Spirit lit the flame. And as I kind of draw this to a close, the presence of God leads us into partnership with God to fulfill the purposes of God. The presence of God. See, if the presence of God doesn't ignite you to want to go to the nations, with the greatest respect, you're just looking a good experience overseas. You're just looking something that'll be good on your CV, young person, older person. You're just looking, you can do it with any volunteer agency you want, and that wouldn't be a bad thing. In fact, it'd be good for you to broaden your horizons. But if we want to be part of the mission of God, it's the presence of Jesus Christ as it ignites our hearts, sets a flame burning inside us that other people need to get around. And we just need to go, whether it's across the street or across the seas. And all of a sudden, our narrow-minded little lives and sometimes our narrow little focus on life gets ignited 
And all of a sudden, we dream about other nations. All of a sudden, we wake up in the middle of the night weeping for Mozambique. Or we watch what's happening in the news in Iran, and we go, God, what are you doing? Or we hear other people talk about Muslims in derogatory terms, and something happens in our heart where we go, Jesus, I think you're going to call me to a place where I might never, ever come back. The thing about it is nowadays you can, probably, most of the time. But the stories of the old missionaries are so inspiring because they literally just went with their coffins. Because they had found the pearl at great price. And they knew it was worth selling everything for. And you see, the thing about it is, as I finish here, the early church for 300 years was so moved with passion. You know, I was thinking, and I love the song, and I sung it for myself tonight, about the reckless love of God, how it kicks down walls, how it lights up shadows, how it tears lies down, how it climbs up mountains. But you know, God's presence wants to get a hold of us in such a way that we will tear down lies. That there's no mountain we won't climb up to reach some lost people and bring them home. That there's no wall that we won't break down. That there's no obstacle, there's no comfort that we will allow to get in the way in order to get into a new frontier to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what God, I think tonight, God, as amazing as it is that he left the 99 for us, he is calling some of us to leave the 99, to be like him. So the question in some ways is, who's willing to leave the 99? Because at the minute, most of us, and men included, are living our lives in such a way where we hang out with the 99. We go to the 99. And God's calling us to leave the 99 to be like him and to go to the ones. And what we kind of see, but after those first 300 years, it kind of stopped. People substituted the presence of God for just mere theory and dogma. They substituted kind of just, they substituted the fire of the Lord for organization and hierarchy. Man got greedy and powerful. And they squashed, and there wasn't really any missions, you know. For the guts of a thousand years, not really much. A few bright sparks, but not really much. You know, but what we start to see from around the 1500s, particularly on, little bits before that, is when the presence of God visits people, visits community. When people are hungry to connect with the living God, that it inevitably thrusts them into mission. So, as I finish, maybe the band will come. Let me just tell you this story or so as we finish. I was 40 on Tuesday. I haven't made a big deal of it or anything, so I know you probably don't know. But, um, so, um, Rick, Rick here, Rick Preston, I went to um, Hernot in Germany, where a man called Count Ludwigs and Zinderdorf decided that he would give a bunch of peasants, Moravians, who knew the Lord, but were, if it was uneducated, all of those kind of things, and, um, and uh, you know, not, not, not cared for, not looked after. He gave them land on his estate. And after, many, after a few years of them settling there, they started to, um, started to bicker and fight a bit, and he taught them how to love Jesus better, how to love one another better. He led them around communion and what that meant. 
and the spiritual intensity and fervency started to rise. The atmosphere started to get, started to get more hungry. And, um, and on, the, on the 13th of August, my birthday, 1727, as they met together and took communion and reconciled and said sorry to one another for the things that they'd done, the Holy Spirit fell on them in such a powerful way that it initiated a hundred-year prayer meeting. They started to pray night and day and night and day and night and day. And when you're hungry for the presence of God and when the Spirit lights the flame, then all of a sudden people started to get dreams. In 1727, without any email, without any planes, without any trains probably, without any, any of that kind of stuff, they were like, how do we get to places like St. Thomas in the Caribbean. They went to Greenland, to the Eskimos in Greenland with the gospel of Jesus Christ, propelled by the gospel. And on all my birthday, I spent my birthday, my 40th birthday, in a graveyard, right, with, with Rick. I know you can't wait to get a good night out with me. Sure you can. But <clears throat> I know what you're thinking, right? But we walked around the graveyard. I think there's a, there's a picture of it, right? In this graveyard, and nobody's any different than anybody else. Like craftsmen beside kind of people of nobility. But all of them, many of them, taking the gospel to the nations. There's nothing ostentatious, nothing fancy about the gravestones because they weren't living for now. They were living with an eternal perspective. And they took the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nation. And they wondered how many other nations they could get to. And in a time when there wasn't really many missions going on, a little village in the southeast of Germany of 300 people, before the end of that century, in 80 years, it sent 1,000 missionaries around the world. Now, I don't know how you do that, because if there's only 300 that live in the village, but you send 1,000 missionaries, I'm not quite sure how that worked, but all I can think of these spiritual atmosphere and intensity thought that's a good place to go, to get lit up, to get sent to the nations. And the modern Mission Day movement was born out of a simple little village in the southeast of Germany that honestly isn't very inspiring. In one way, it was the worst place to ever think about spending your birthday. Because me and Rick were struggling. The only thing we could find to eat was a dodgy enough kebab shop, right? But in one place and another way, it was the best place ever. It was the best place to think about how do you want to live your life? What do you want to give your life to? And how can you find a joy that supersedes the joy that this world can give in order to take the gospel to the nations? It took 39 missionaries to the Caribbean islands. 17 of them died. They stopped getting letters back from the Caribbean islands. They wondered, has anybody, have they made any, have they made any breakthrough? Since Zinzerdorf decided to go himself, got in a boat. I don't know how many months it took him to get there. He got there. They couldn't find the missionaries. They thought they were dead. They ended up, they'd been locked up by the government. They found a church of 600 indigenous people on the island because they wanted to bring the reckless love of Jesus to the to the nations. Last Sunday in our church in Portland, we had the privilege of praying for Wayne and Sue Robinson, sending them to Spain. When they sent through the pictures on Friday, saw them in Facebook. Three little kids getting on that plane, one way ticket to Spain. Not quite sure when they're coming home. But what a joy. What a joy to send people to the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And every time God moves, I had more stuff to say. I could tell you about other revivals. In Azusa Street, the Pentecostal movement happened 100 years ago when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. You know, they started to speak in other languages. One particular woman spoke in Chinese, never spoken Chinese before. So what did she do? She went to China. She told the gospel of Jesus to people who didn't know him. And so today, we live in a world where there are 16,350 people groups in the world that are still unreached. 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. 90% of those are in unreached people groups. Of the 7,000 7, languages there are in the world, it's 1,778 of them that still don't have any scripture. <laughs> and we're walking into Christian bookshops and getting any kind of version we want with any kind of fluffy kind of cover we want with any kind of like, you know, people making money out of, you know, different Bibles for people in the West who already have five. And there's nearly 1,800 different languages in the world that still don't have a Bible. So the next time you're going to buy one, why not think about giving the money to like Wycliffe or someone or someone like that, and mission organizations and people that are committed to seeing the Bible written in every language in the world. Let's have a, let's have a perspective for the nations. And I say all that, and I wanted just to give you those short couple of stories because I think God is awakening us as a people. And we'll talk more about this in the days ahead. I think his spirit is working. I think there's going to be an inbreaking of his presence. I think there's going to be another wave of the presence of God. I think we're already experiencing the first fruits of it, but I think there's going to be another wave. And when that comes, if we're not sending people to the nations, we'll know we've got something, got something wrong. If people aren't, people aren't leaving to go. And that can be across the street. But when God, but when God moves... He moves people. <laughs> he moves people to the nations. Maybe you heard tonight, it's so encouraging to hear all the stories, so encouraging to hear, particularly Rachel, you know, feeling that call to go. But the gospel, the gospel means go. And if you're not part of the going physically, you can be part of the sending. And in that regard, you're going as well. And so I, I just really want us to pray tonight and as we finish, just going to sing one song and then going to close up. But why don't we stand our feet just in these moments? <coughs> so, yeah, just in these moments, if you feel like stirred tonight, the reality is, I suppose you could boil it all down to this sentence, which is Are we willing to allow our hearts to break for the places that break God's heart? Do we want to enter into partnership with God? for his purposes on the earth, that we want to allow his presence to do with us whatever needs to be done in order to carry the gospel to the nations. We need gospel power today, people. We need gospel power. We need people carrying the fire and the flame of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need it desperately. It's far too much Christian talk today and not enough power. And we need people who are going to carry the power of the gospel of Jesus. We need people that are going to tear down lies, light up shadows, break down walls. I feel like 
Jesus is saying to me, Alan, just stop singing this about yourself and sing it as a prophetic kind of symbol and of your own life and, 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 the, and, the, and the way you're going to join with me in order to break down barriers and boundaries with the good news of Jesus. And so in these moments, why don't you just pray that prayer to the Lord if you feel like, God, just break my heart for what breaks yours. Don't pray it if you're not ready because it'll, it'll wreck your life. It'll, it'll change it all probably. It'll cost you everything. But Jesus wants to put a joy in your heart that the world can't give. The joy is serving him. This is life in all its fullness. So right now, just, just before we sing, I just feel like there might be some places right now in these moments that the Holy Spirit, some countries, the Holy Spirit just wants to like place in your heart right now. Come, Holy Spirit, we invite you just to speak now. Thank you that you know exactly what we need to hear in these moments. And Lord, did you take us one step at a time. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would increase the burden on your heart for the nations on ours, oh God. Thank you that our inheritance is your inheritance, God. And it pleases you, God, to give your son the nations. So right now, I ask, Holy Spirit, just give us your heart, grant us your heart, Holy Spirit, for people and places. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Try not to worry about the time, just for a few moments. This is, this is really important for some people. If you need to slip on, that's fine. But just, just in these moments, just, just, just push into this moment. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Increase the sense of your presence here, God. And the burden of your heart for people that don't know you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Some of you in these moments might just start to see particular groups of people or might just see a name. Or some of you just very physically are just going to feel like an emotion well up inside you. That's just God's heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I asked the prayer ministry team just to um, pray if they felt there's a few nations, that words of knowledge, and so the, one of the countries that they felt the Lord maybe saying to us tonight about was the Ukraine. So if just if there's somebody here tonight that God's been speaking that to you, and that's confirmation, that's, there you go. Come, Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.